This morning we want to consider one of the uh, most important but oftentimes neglected aspects of the Christian life. And it's the matter of praise, and we're taught about that in Psalm 150. This would be page 526 in your pew Bible. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipes. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today with great gratitude. And we would offer our blessing to you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that according to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We thank you that you have an eternal inheritance that is stored up for us, that you, Lord Jesus, have gone to prepare a place for us. And we thank you, God, for the promise that your power guards us through faith for this salvation that will be revealed at the last time. Lord, we thank you that though we may suffer for a while, it's necessary, it has a purpose, it tests our faith, strengthens our faith, and gives us opportunity to exercise our faith. And that is exactly what we want to do. And we pray that as we come into your presence today, that our faith would result in praise and glory and honor and each day of our lives until that great resurrection day. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Well, I trust you've been encouraged this summer as we've taken a look at the Psalms. And we'll conclude uh, this summer uh, study of the Psalms in the last Psalm today, Psalm 150. Thank you, Bob, for reading that for us. Uh, many songs may come to mind when I mention the fact that oftentimes uh, it is the final few notes within that song uh, that are fixed in your mind. Uh, it's the crescendo to the end there that is often a, a marked time within a song that leaves an impression upon you. Uh, you can't go around Christmas or Easter and sing the Hallelujah Chorus and not be moved by the end of that particular song. And, and very much like uh, a particular song, we think of Psalm 150 and this is the final crescendo, if you will, the grand finale. Uh, the the amen of the songs, and, and I'm not thinking of the amen that we might sing at the doxology. Uh, you can go to the back of a hymnal, and and some of the amens, you know, it's almost like in a completely uh, a different song. It, they say amen over and over and over again, and they have all these different ways of harmonizing, all for the purpose of saying what we have just heard and sung about 
is wonderful. And Psalm 150 is that for the book of Psalms. Thirteen times you can see within this psalm the word praised is used or praise. It's in the imperative form. We're commanded to praise God. Each stanza leading up to verse 6 begins with a command to praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. All the way up uh, to the final verse of all of the psalms in verse 6. And yet you note that Though commanded, it's as if the writer of this psalm has a tone of excitement. It's almost as if he's inviting us with this great excitement to to enter in to praise as well. He's commanding us to praise, but there's also this tone of invitation. Come do this. Uh, It's like a husband who will go to his wife earlier in the week and say, you need to be ready on such and such a night. You need to be ready at such and such a time. We have a special evening plan. I'm not going to tell you what it is. He's telling her when to be ready, what to wear. Uh, But there's this excitement in his voice of there's this invitation. You're going to be a part of something. The tone of the psalmist is just that in Psalm 150. The command to praise God is of such wonder and unique grace for the worshiper that it's almost as if the psalmist is saying the real beneficiary here of this worship is the worshipers themselves. Praise is a distinct form of worship. We begin our service each week with a prayer of praise. Uh, I try to get the first song we sing to be a song of exaltative praise. The intended audience of this psalm is for all of God's people. Uh, He wants all of God's people to be those who are praying. In fact, he extends it beyond God's people. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The call is corporate. It spills over to the personal. Uh, But it goes in that order. It doesn't start with the personal and spill over to the corporate. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But you have this tone of him calling all the people in his presence to join in what he is doing. Psalm 150 is not only the culmination of the entirety of the book of Psalms, but also of book 5 of the Psalms. Uh, It's the praise of God and his wondrous works. It's the praise of God and his greatness. Uh, We see these, uh, that That call to praise in verse 2 for his mighty deeds, his excellent greatness. Uh, You could really take Psalm 145 and Psalm 150 and and just pair them right together. In fact, turn in your Bible to Psalm 145. It's just a page or two to your left. And you'll see what I mean by that. It begins with, I will extol you, my God and King. Bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That's one psalm in the book five We could go elsewhere and see where uh, specific means 
of or specific ways of God's mighty deeds, excellent greatness, are reflected upon, such as one Psalm 136. To him his let who led his people through the wilderness, verse 16, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his steadfast love endures forever. Who killed mighty kings, his steadfast love endures forever. And it goes on and on and on. The articulation in book five of God's commitment to his people, of his excellent works for his people, culminates in Psalm 150 and praise. I think it may be helpful to us to ask Psalm 150 some questions. And uh, this is the way we will structure our study this morning. We'll just ask where, why, how, and who. Uh, Where is he to be praised? Why is he to be praised? How is he to be praised? And who is to praise? Psalm 150 answers these. Verse 1, where is he to be praised? A bit of a first note, though, is before we get to where is he to be praised, we have to reflect upon who is to be praised. Uh, This psalm, you could say, begins with who and ends with who. It begins with who, God, ends with who, us. Who is to be praised? It is God, and he's to be praised in the sanctuary. He's to be praised in the heavens. Some translations render that as the firmament. We could sum up Psalm uh, 150 verse 1 as saying, where is he to be praised? Everywhere. Uh, The sanctuary would be historically known as the temple then. Uh, we, We know we don't have the temple to go to anymore. The body of Jesus Christ is the temple. Uh, of the Holy Spirit in one sense, the individual hearts, the temple of the Holy Spirit in one sense, the heavenly throne room is in a sense a, a temple. There, there's this sense of God being praised amidst his people in one specific location, which is for the Israelites, the temple for us, it can be within our homes, it can be here. There's different facets of corporate worship. And then it's all the way up into the heavens. There's this call even for here, the angels to be a part of the worship of God. Angels are to be a part of it. Mankind is to be a part of it. Everywhere he is to be praised, the heavens and the earth. Note, it is God who is to be praised. The Hebrew for God here is Yahweh. There's this reflection upon The covenant-keeping God. We've stated this before. I'll state it again. But it's reflection upon the God who has kept his word with his people. What he said he would do, he has done. He is the one to whom we are to praise. And we are to praise him everywhere. First, before we get into how we're to praise him, as you can see in verse 3 and 5, which our eyes probably pull to, We must first recognize the object of our praise. Before how we praise, it's who we are to praise. It is God. It is not another God. It is not man. It is God and God alone that is to be the object of our praise. Romans chapter 1 verse 19 through 20. Let me read that for you. 
speaking about those who are resisting and rejecting God in Romans chapter 1, we're told this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, those who reject God, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Uh, We certainly can recognize that only those who are in Christ can truly praise God. But there is no one who is outside the responsibility of praising God. He's the creator of all the earth. And you will either praise him through Christ now or you will bow the knee to him one day in praise. But we're all called to praise God in the creation around us. The heavens, for one, is that which calls us to praise him. You know, in in four years here in Fredericksburg, we're going to have an opportunity to see the glory of God as you may never see in all of creation, in all of your life. So plan on being at our church in four years. Now, I'm not some sort of prophet uh, who can tell you that something's going to special could happen. No, th- there will be a full eclipse in four years and in the United States of America and Fredericksburg is in totality, in the totality of it. And what that means is you'll have a total eclipse. So we're going to have a 360 sunru- sunset in the middle of the day in Fredericksburg. The temperature will drop 10 to 20 plus degrees. The birds will start flying because they think the evening's coming. And, and we'll have a full eclipse for anywhere from 30 plus seconds on. Uh, go watch it online. It, it's unlike anything you've ever seen in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day to other speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where his voice is not heard. And we're all called to praise God. And there's something about that that happens. Just taking the eclipse as one particular example. Where everyone there recognizes something otherworldly is taking place. Something beyond which they've seen. And we obviously, by his grace, recognize that to be his handiwork. Why is he to be praised? Well, we've looked at this a little bit, but verse 2, why is he to be praised? He's to be praised for his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. His mighty deeds, what he has done, his excellent greatness, who he is. We can certainly see that his mighty deeds are done in creation, of course. Uh, But there's other places and ways in which he has done his mighty deeds. Let me ask you this morning, do you have a personal file of the mighty deeds of God in your life? Uh, Do do you have evidences in which God has done mighty works in your life? Uh, As I even ask that question, can you bring something to mind? Uh, If the answer is no, then you may need to spend a bit more time reflecting upon that. Because it's not as if it hasn't happened. It's as if, the truth is, you're you're not seeing it. Because it is in these times of our life... Uh where we may not feel like praising God due to whatever is going on in our life... Where we can pull that personal file and recalibrate some thoughts to what it should be. Praising God. I have a number of things 
I've shared before, funds needed uh, with the coming of our oldest son when he was in the womb and the Lord providing. As my wife and I are on our knees praying for funds, the knock on the door and and, and funds provided. Um, Victory over persistent sin. Looking back over my life and seeing times where I've struggled with this particular sin for a, a period of time and then seeing God provide freedom through these things. What is it for you? I reflect upon, maybe even this week, the mighty deeds he has done. Praising God for his mighty deeds is an excellent weapon against the temptations of doubt and despair by the enemy. Why don't we just take a moment and go over to the New Testament. Go with me over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 has two verses. You probably know where I'm going. Verse 29 if you do not. uh, That that just provide you a cliff notes version if you will. Of a good start. If you're wondering what mighty deeds you should give yourself to praising God for and about. uh, Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30. You've got a list. Let me read that for you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Beginning to glory of you going from Sinner to salvation and saint. I ask you the question, what part of Romans 28 and 29 have you done? The answer is nothing. Exhibited for us in these two passages, and we don't have the time because we can preach one sermon on each word in these passages, is the greatness of God. The mighty deeds of God culminating in and through Christ. And us as the mere recipients of such wonderful deeds. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He is conforming us. He did conform us. He, He called us. He justified us. He made us right in the sight of holy God. He is going to glorify us. A bit of thought on those will lend us much grace in understanding his mighty deeds. And that's just a scratch of the surface. That's just two verses that we could go to. Excellent greatness. Who he is. That he is the God of love. We could spend hours on what that excellent greatness looks like in his love. His kindness Toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His justice, that he is the just and the justifier. That he is the perfect God. That he is gracious and kind. That he is perfect. That he is holy, holy, holy. Just a few moments in meditation throughout this week on his excellent greatness will springboard you into praise. If you get started, if we if we were to just uh, each take a moment or, or some time, maybe even this week, and begin articulating the mighty deeds of God, the excellent greatness of God, you would find yourself still in prayer later that evening and 
maybe only a page or two throughout Scripture. There is much we can use to get ourselves into praise. I found uh, during my times of prayer, maybe while walking along, that if I begin with praise, that I'm often caught up in the wonder of God and many minutes will pass. And I'm still, uh, the picture for me this morning was, was a little child racing around an exhibit in a museum. You know, looking at all the wonderful parts of that exhibit. Oh, look at this, look at that, look at this. And just, the more they go, the more excited they get. The more we mull around in our minds the wonder of God, the excellent greatness of God, it's as if we're caught up in that. And we find ourselves in much praise. It's a, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to praise Him. We begin our service with a prayer of praise. I did it this morning. I really try hard when I do the prayer of praise to not use words like help us or we thank you. It's a weak muscle praises in the Christian life. It can be very difficult to do because we just, we flow right into thanks and helps and those are important. They're not to be downplayed in any way, shape or form. Uh, but we can also uh, build up the muscle of praise that will actually help and increase our other aspects of prayer as well. Make a conscious effort this week to spend a good portion of your time praising God. It can be in prayer. It can be in song. It can be with your family. But try it. Try to get into praise. And you might find that it's not as easy as it sounds. And yet there's mints grace there for us. Back in Psalm 150, we've asked the question of where and why, and now we're looking at verses 3 through 5, how? How is he to be praised? And we'll sum it up with this, he's to be praised wholeheartedly, and it culminates through and in Christ. Now let's just pause for a moment here. When we look at verse 3 through 5, as, let's just all admit it, conservative Christians, there should be a sense, or at least there was for me, it creates, it's a bit uncomfortable. You all don't want to see me dance. I'm assuming you don't want me to see me dance. Uh, it's known by some in this church that I don't play the tambourine very well. The flute is probably one of the worst instruments you should give your young child to try to learn how to play. And when we, when we think about the sounds that verse 3 through 5 describes for us, as conservative Christians... I fear, and the warning here is, we're more concerned with the sound of worship than with the object and truth articulated by such worship. I'm going to say that again. We can be more concerned with the sound of worship than the object and truth articulated by such worship. Now, I'm, I have Paul's resume when it comes to conservative music great, growing up. And you can talk to me about that later. But I, I know what it is to be very conservative in my, in my, in my music and, and, and all of that. 
But, but what I want you to hear is what we should be first concerned about is the who of our worship. And if we will take the time to analyze the truth articulated in whatever worship we're, we're being a part of, whatever song we may be listening to, I think you'll find that before you get to the sound, if you'll first concern yourself with the truth, if you get the right truth, though the sound may be of a preference for one way or another, you find yourself delighting in the truth first. And that's the way it is according to scripture. It's the way it is organized in Psalm 150. We want to be biblical about our worship, of course. But... We can often, and in pride at times, I might add, articulate our faithfulness to biblical worship over against others that we believe are worshiping unbiblically or less biblically than we are. And yet, if we really want to be biblical and we take out the book of Ezra and we say, yes, here's the proof that children should be in a worship service, then we can't ignore Psalm 150 and how God's word allows and delights and expressions of praise. Let me put it this way. To be more conservative than scripture is, is to be as liberal as those who don't follow scripture. Did you hear what I said there? To be more conservative than scripture is, is to be as liberal as those who don't follow scripture. And we must be careful that we do not raise our preferences in worship to biblical status. Now, let me say this. Worship, if it's first about God, it's not about our comfort. Uh, for, for instance, we're told in First Timothy, men are to raise their hands in holy prayer. I know, even though I sit on the front row, that few of you men, if very few of you men, raise your hands in holy prayer. The scripture tells us we can do that and we should. That to lift your hands in praise actually is honoring to God. Now, do we do that for the approval of men? No. And we must check our hearts in this to say, am I raising this or this so that other people can think, wow, what a great worshiper he is. Well, that's just as wrong as not doing it because you don't feel comfortable with it. We first go to scripture and say it's about God and what he's commanded us to do. And then we check our hearts to make sure it's about God and not about ourselves. I certainly think that there's place for preferences in worship. But it appears in verse 3 through 5 that the, the types of worship that can be delightful to God uh, is, limit, it, it, it is quite expansive. Now what do we do with verse 3 through 5? Does that mean we need a shofar up here? Because the historical context is not the trumpet like this. It's a horn blasting. Uh, do, do we need a, a tambourine, whatever a lute is? Uh, we need the Emily to come back and play the harp for us. Do, do we need a tambourine? Do we need dancers? Do we need strings? Do we need pipe? There's some strings on a piano. Loud uh, sounding cymbals and Brant isn't to play them quietly, but loud clashing cymbals. Says it. What do we do? Well, first of all, we have to understand that God was pleased when these types of worship were used. 
And these type of worship historically was used and this psalm culminates as a reminder to the people of God then that that type of worship was used at specific and unique and varied moments where God worked miraculously in the times and places of his people. Uh, it's the sound book, if you will. You know, you pull out the, the picture book or the, 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 the photo album, the word I'm looking for. You pull out the photo album and you flip through and you say, oh yeah, you remember that time? Well, this is one of those books for the Israelites that when they'd flip it, they'd press the little button and sounds would come out. And they would go, oh yeah, remember that time where God did this? Let me give you an example. Let's go in your, our Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 13. And there we'll see just one, and we could spend more time, there's plenty more, where we see specific uses of the sounds and ways in which are described in Psalm 150 happening at particular moments in history where God worked on behalf of his people. And I'm just going to give you one. I recommend to you that you take some time and, and study to find the other ones, and there's plenty Study helps can get you there. But First Chronicles chapter 13 verse 8 is one of them. The Ark of the Covenant. It's been with the Philistines. It's coming back into the people of, into the land of the people of God. Uh, David is part of the bringing of this Ark back to the people of God. The Ark was the symbol of the presence of God with the people of God. And so there was much ado about this. And look at verse 8. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might. With song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. Turn two or three pages to your right. Uh, 15 verse 25. 1 Chronicles 15 verse 25. Uh, the ark has a a time of roadside assistance as there's a pause in the coming into Jerusalem. And yet here, chapter 15, verse 25, we get it into Jerusalem. So David, the elders of Israel, the commanders of thousands, went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls, seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, the singers the Chenaniah, and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. There's a particular point where God worked on behalf of his people that was marked by praise that Psalm 150 is calling the people of God to remember by way of sound and motion. Meaning, remember when that happened, praise him yet again. Now, in First Chronicles 13 and 15, we have a hint of something yet to come. For instance, we have King David, who's wearing priestly garments, who's praising God. Our praise now as believers in Jesus Christ finds all of particular ways and means of praise centered upon and found in and culminating in, in whatever ways you want to describe it, in Christ. Uh, 
Christ is the king. Christ is the priest. Christ is the prophet. All our praise to God is in and through Christ. When we declare the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're declaring the work of God in his excellent greatness. When we sing about the power of the cross, we're singing about the greatest power indeed of God. And so in a sense, you could say Psalm 150 by way of sound also calls us as Christians now to look back to what his God has done, but also to look forward what he has continued to do, culminating in Jesus Christ. And we lift our hearts and voices even in praise. And so that ends our time of how and moves us to who. And the answer is everything. Verse six of Psalm 150. Everything. Everyone that has breath. Animals have breath, but certainly what's in mind here is the bearing of those that have the image of God, mankind. It's the call to use your breath. It's the call to have air passing over vocal cords. And it's the call to Corporate worship and even personal worship. Uh, we, we've, we've tarped on this the last couple of weeks in our summer psalm series. And I'll say it yet again. Uh, to not lift your voice in praise with the people of God. Can I put it any more bluntly than this? Is sin. If you refuse to open your mouth and let air pass over vocal cords to praise him, you're in sin. According to scripture. He commanded us to do it. And if we sit there and think, well, I, I don't want to do that this morning. I'd rather have a personal and private time or if people don't like my voice or I can't harmonize very well or my voice isn't very good singing voice. Uh, scripture doesn't give you that allowance. In fact, it says, make a joyful noise. So do it. Sing. Why do we say we should sing? Why do we say we should praise in fact, it's difficult at times to praise. C.S. Lewis wrote about praise. He wrote about praise after he spent some time reflecting upon the difficulty of praise. And this was his difficulty. He thought, what an egotistical maniac is this God who says, praise me. The woman who stands up and says, praise my beauty, no one can abide. The, the, the politician, the craftsman, the athlete who says, laud my accomplishments, my work, my creation, my writing, whatever. We all detest. How is it that God can call us to praise him? What's in it for us when singing is at times difficult? How could we stomach a God who demands that worship is to be to him? Lewis asked the question and it's a good one. Let me read for you a a lengthy quote. This breaks most of the preaching rules because it's way too long. But I trust it will be helpful to you. This is Lewis's thoughts on praise, and I, I'm going to read it because I don't, I don't think he'd be put much better. It's helpful. He says this, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escapes me. 
I thought of praise, he says, in terms of compliment, approval, of giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. I want you to note that. Praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment, Lewis says. It's its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, Romeo praising Juliet and vice versa. Readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be Inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist is telling everyone to praise God. The psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole, my general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. What he says by way of translation there at the end is to not praise God is to basically declare that you value things other than him to not lift your voices in song is to say I'd rather lift it for the football team for the basketball team for the family for my wife for my children for the beauty of creation but I will limit it to that and not to God And yet Yahweh has given himself to us. To not be able to praise God would leave us, in the words of Lewis, unable to complete the enjoyment. To properly desire to worship God must first be preceded by God, providing a relationship with God for you through Jesus Christ. If you're single, you don't praise the spouse you don't have. Unless one has a relationship with God, one will not either praise him or if they try, will find no bit of enjoyment. It's strenuous, it's burdensome, it's difficulty, difficult. And yet when God gives himself to us in Christ, 
creating a relationship with us, to not praise him is to not find the culmination of enjoyment in his love for us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The Westminster, like this psalm, has, as many of the other psalms, do a hint of something now, but not yet. We'll read Psalm 150, and uh, maybe, like me, you think, well, this sounds great, but that's not real life. Life is not lollipops and pretzel sticks all the time. And you find yourself at times saying, it's too much suffering, too much difficulty, too much pain. How am I supposed to praise God? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 19 in closing describes for us the praise that is yet to come, the help that is there as we prepare even for that time to come. We, you, are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, there's plenty of reason to praise Him, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This psalm gives us hope that the glory to come, the praise we will one day enjoy is coming and will soon be there. And to for us as his people to reflect upon his mighty deeds, the epitome being the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, will find us like Christ suffering the pain of this life for the joy that is yet to come, as Hebrews 12 says. And so I trust that even as we would pause this week to reflect upon His mighty deeds and excellent greatness, as we obey Him and praise Him, lift our voices here in just a minute in song to Him, uh, there will be much grace for us there to be reminded that the glory that is yet to be come is not worthy to be compared with the sufferings of this present time. It's of such greater glory. It's of such greater wonder that it carries us through these short and slight afflictions where we will one day be with him for all of eternity. That the the completion of our enjoyment in praise, the culmination, the the delight will be for all of eternity as we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, we submit to you our study in Psalm 150. We praise you that you have given us your word. We praise you that you have saved us in Jesus Christ. We praise you that you do not need our praise You own the cattle upon a thousand hills. If you were hungry, you would not ask us. But you've commanded us and invited us. And in the command and invitation to praise you, we find the completion. 
we find the delight expressed of you, our God, of our love for you because of your love for us. Father, don't let us this week go but a few hours without finding ourselves praising you. May we have the grace to use the grace of praise to keep our joy fixed upon Jesus Christ, to keep our eyes fixed upon the heavenly throne, to keep our sights set upon the heaven that is to come and the return of Jesus Christ, carrying us through, helping us bear, walk in the sufferings and afflictions of this present time. Help us, Father, even as we delight in Jesus Christ to recognize that he too went through fiery trials. You as well take us as you did through Christ. In, as you took Christ, you will take us through fiery trials. And yet, the joy that is set before him, that enabled him to endure the cross, is the same joy set before us. Father, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to respond to your word in obedience by praising you even now. Father, the way we do it here, the way another church does it there, may it ultimately be about you and may it be with whole hearts. May we, be, may we express ourselves in praise wholeheartedly to you. Together with one another, but ultimately with hearts that are overflowing and delighting in you, our God, as evidenced by your mighty deeds and excellent greatness toward us. We submit our time of worship together with you and toward you, uh, to you this morning. We ask now that as we close in song and benediction, you would strengthen us for this coming week. Use your word in our lives, set it upon our hearts and minds. In the precious name of Christ, we pray. Amen.